it's exciting to be able to study with you again this evening and Wes and I are thrilled to be able to walk through this topic for a second week now and that is dealing with depression, anxiety, and fear, battling those things with the resources of the gospel. So Wes, thanks for joining us and for us talking together. Um, what are we going to do tonight? Well, we're going to look uh, specifically, I think, more at spiritual depression. And okay. so digging into what exactly depression is, how that's maybe affected some people's experience, you know, the way they've described uh, their experience of depression, and some of the ways that we can do battle. As we started to talk about last week, that this really uh, isn't just something that we sit idly by and wallow in, but something that we actually must do battle against. And we have the tools to do that, yeah. so we're going to unpack a little bit tonight what those are and how we can respond yeah. in the face of depression. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about talking about the richness of the gospel mm. and how meditation on that and mobilizing the gospel truths really as weapons, both offensive and defensive, and battling depression is going to be an exciting study, I think, for us. And I hope helpful for any that are listening that are struggling, maybe struggling with some discouragement or even depression. Absolutely. Well, let's let's start with what I mentioned just a moment ago, how depression feels to people who are enduring it. What are some ways that people have articulated uh, in the past what they're experiencing when we talk about depression? Yeah, it's amazing how often people that are going through the darkest experiences of their lives resort to almost poetic descriptions. It's like mm. they can barely capture in words what they're saying. So we could look to the Psalms, for example, and all, every, I think every uh, heart condition from the highest of the highs to the lowest of the lows is found in the book of Psalms. But Psalm 88, uh, probably the clearest description, I think, of what spiritual depression really looks like. This is what the psalmist says. My soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care, speaking to God. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call out to you, O Lord, every day I spread out my hands to you. Then later in the psalm, you have taken my companions and my loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. So I think that would be an articulation of depression. So many aspects and features mm -hmm. of it, a chronic aspect, uh, lots of mention of death, uh, a feeling of being locked in and can't escape, of prayers that don't seem to be answered, of isolation, uh, friendships cut off. Uh, here's some other articulations. Uh, quote, depression involves a complete absence, absence of effect, mm -hmm. absence of feeling, absence of response, absence of interest, it's like the deeply depressed are walking dead, end quote. Uh, another one basically said about the same thing in different words. I feel like I died a few weeks ago. My body hasn't found out yet. Wow. Charles Spurgeon, uh, who, who battled spiritual depression despite all of his fruitfulness, incredible gifts, and the way God was using him still dealing with spiritual depression. He said this, I could weep for an hour like a child, yet I knew not what I wept for. Hmm. Like I'm just crying. I can't stop, but I don't even know what it's about. 
Another quote, profound melancholia is a day in, day out, night in, night out, almost arterial level of agony. It is a pitiless, unrelenting pain that affords no window of hope, no alternative to a grim and brackish experience, no respite from the cold undercurrents of thought and feeling that dominate the horribly restless nights of despair. And then Abraham Lincoln said this, quote, I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode that I shall not. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better, it appears to me." So those are perhaps some articulations of what depression uh, is like. You know, what's striking to me about those descriptions of what it's like to experience depression is some of them are very dark, uh, very uh, deep sadness. Yeah. And some of it, uh, even the way that the psalmist spoke in Psalm 88 with the dimness of eyes, maybe just a lack of color to the world on a consistent basis. And you talked about the absence of affect. So like you're looking out and it's not so much that it's deep lows, but just a flatness. The things that would normally bring us joy yeah. don't things that would normally bring us sadness don't, right. are just flattened to the world. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that can also be a, a, an experience of depression for sure. Let me address even current events. Um, COVID-19 and the sheltering at home has narrowed the scope of people's life experiences. Mm -hmm. It has not removed from them everything that they enjoy, but it's removed many of them. And what it's done is it's created an imbalance so that you're turning more to the narrow things you can still enjoy at home more than ever before. And they are losing taste. They are losing effect. Um, but you don't see any end in sight. And I think some people can, you know, realizing that electronic entertainment, food, being with your same three family members, looking at your same four walls, looking at, uh, it's heading toward depression. People are saying, is this all that life is? And again, in that there doesn't seem to be a cure and you wonder how do we get out of all this um, can lead toward some feelings of depression. Yeah. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones, we mentioned his book last week, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cure. And he begins with Psalm 42. So let me read this for us and then We'll kind of lay some foundation, and I have a question okay. uh, about this for you as well. So Psalm 42.5 says this, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So Lloyd-Jones notes that the psalmist is effectively preaching to his own soul. And this is what Lloyd-Jones says about that. He says, We must learn to take ourselves in hand. This man was not content just to lie down and commiserate with himself. He does something about it. He takes himself in hand. I suggest that the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression is that we allow ourselves to talk to us rather than talking to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Mm -hmm. This psalmist's soul has been, so, has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self Listen for a moment, and I will speak to you. Address yourself. Preach to yourself. Question yourself. Say to your soul, why are you so downcast? What business have you to be so disturbed? Remind yourself who God is and what God has done, and what he has pledged still to do in the future. Then having done that, end on this great note. I shall yet praise him, my Savior and my God. 
incredible words, helpful for us as we experience depression. How would such an approach help a depressed person? It's vital, I think, and it's a, an insight that I read him uh, in, in this book years ago and it stuck with me. Mm. And so I think sometimes we can be uh, very weak with ourselves and just give our darker thoughts full reign of the place. Mm -hmm. And he says, don't do that. Turn it around, stand up. I mean, look at how God talks to Job. He doesn't deal gently with him. Mm -hmm. He deals, he answers him out of a whirlwind. Yeah. Effectively, where were you when I created the universe? We can talk more about that another time. But he's not gentle, he takes Job in hand. But we can do that to ourselves. What, I like how Lloyd-Jones says, mm -hmm. what business have you, oh my soul, to be downcast? Yeah. And we're gonna talk, the next part is, Jesus died for you and rose again. Mm -hmm. And your sins are forgiven, we'll get into all that. I love the title of the book, Spiritual Depression. It's causes, plural, and it's cure, singular. And that cure is the gospel. We'll get to all that. But I saw this morning uh, another example of preaching to yourself, and I want to talk about that. Yeah. And that's in the book of Lamentations. Mm -hmm. Lamentations, Jeremiah, I believe, had the hardest ministry in the Old Testament. Incredible. I think he's third all time behind the Apostle Paul and behind Jesus. Jesus takes first place in everything, always. Mm -hmm because of the dimensions of his role as a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, of drinking in the sin of the world and standing under the wrath of God, he gets first place. The, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians uh, 11, his catalog of sufferings has never been and never will be topped, ever. But Jeremiah, you think about what God wanted him to do, and he's there when the Babylonians came and turned out the lights. Uh, basically, and he watches, and they let him live, and he's there on the on the hills, maybe Mount of Olives, looking over the smoldering rubble of Jerusalem with the temple destroyed, and he says in Lamentations, how desolate lies the city once so full of people. That's how the book begins. Tremendous sorrow. But then go before that, and you think about Jeremiah's ministry. He was young when he was called. Remember, he complains, I'm just a child, and I don't know how to speak, and all that. And God calls him to be a prophet to the nations, but specifically to Judah and to Jerusalem, and proclaim to them their sin and that there is no remedy. They are most certainly going to go into exile to Babylon. God won't even hear prayer. Don't pray for this people. He gets to stand in front of the temple and say, don't trust in the temple of the Lord. You're trusting in, de in, in deceptive words. And you think about all the messages designed to get him a beating. Uh, you know, the, the soldiers are courageously up on the walls facing the Babylonians saying, you got to come down and surrender. He looks like he's a fifth column. He looks like a traitor. <laughs> yeah, and they're throwing him in, literally in the miry pit. Uh, literally, not, not metaphorically. Right. He's in a miry pit. He's going to sink down and, and die if he's not pulled up out of there. He's got to go through the starvation of the city. He's, he, he is hated. It's, it's mm. a hard ministry, putting it gently. Lamentations, he unloads all of his feelings. And Lamentations 3 in particular, this is what he says, and this is the language of depression. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. Later in Lamentations 3, verse 14 and following, I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He's trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I hoped for from the Lord, gone. 
I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Wes, doesn't that sound like depression? Sounds very familiar as well from even what we heard earlier in Psalm 42. But listen to the remedy. Mm. He preaches to himself. So this is Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. Some of this will be familiar to you. Other, other parts, maybe not so much. Listen. And here, this is a man preaching to himself. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. That's preaching to yourself. What can you call to mind so that therefore you, as a result, have hope? What does he do? Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Listen to this. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. That's preaching to yourself. And you think at the center of it, when he says the Lord, because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. I deserve to be in hell. I deserve to be consumed by God's wrath, but I'm not. Mm. So we're going to get to that in a moment, how the, the treasures of the gospel and of justification by faith are sufficient. But he essentially preaches that to himself and he preaches God's character. The Lord is my portion and that's enough for me. So anyway, Lamentations 3. It's beautiful that God's character and conduct is really what he seems to zero in on and focus on in that moment and say, this, this can actually bring me hope. And yeah. I was reading Psalm 103 this morning, and it has some of that language as well. You know, remembering, not forgetting, bringing to mind the way that God has acted. And it's a, a beautiful remedy for us. What I would say that's so true, Wes, that's Psalm 103. You know, forget not all his benefits. We need to remember. But here's the thing. We have far more than Jeremiah had. God gave Jeremiah like he gave to all the great Old Testament prophets a vision of Christ before he was born. That's true. But we have more. We have better. That's right. We have better promises. The book of Hebrews says we have better We have better performances. God has done more by, by this time now in redemptive history. We have more weapons in the arsenal. Mm -hmm. so. And we have the hope of the gospel. Yeah. So, so why is a solid foundation in the gospel essential to defeating spiritual depression? Well, let's start with this. If you're not converted, you actually ought to be depressed and very afraid. Because it says in John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So that means if you are not converted, if you're not a Christian, you are presently under the wrath of God. And it is reasonable for you to be both afraid and sad, fearful. Mm. Um, all right. So feelings like that actually may be workings of the Holy Spirit bringing you to Christ and to him crucified and resurrected. So I actually would not want to alleviate your feelings of sadness if you're not converted. You should be sad. You should be fearful and flee to Christ. Then you won't be sad or fearful anymore. So we start with that. The foundations of the gospel are essential to get out of spiritual depression because without it, you actually ought to be more depressed than you are. Uh, you ought to be more fearful than you are. So fleeing to Christ. And there are negative inducements to becoming a Christian. Fear of hell is a valid reason to flee to Christ. Uh, getting up out of the muck pit of depression that your sin has brought on you is a good reason to flee to Christ. Not the only reason, but there are negative reasons to come to Christ. There are also positive reasons as well. So when John the Baptist says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? So uh, the fleeing from the coming wrath is a valid reason to come to Christ. Mm -hmm. So also, I think, getting out of um, spiritual uh, depression. Uh, but speaking now to Christians, um, I think a solid education in the gospel, 
is essential to all aspects of sanctification. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing. We're going, we're not learning some new things or better things or different things. We got the gospel, we're done with that. No, it's continually going back to the gospel. The gospel, the finished work of Christ, both in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, all of that is a solid ground, a rock under your feet and a song in your mouth to fight depression. Let me use the language of Psalm 40. Mm -hmm. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, mm. a hymn of praise to our God. So that image of being drawn out by the sovereign hand of God, out of a slimy pit, and put on a rock that doesn't move, mm. that's conversion and salvation. A solid rock. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice like a man who built his house on a rock, not on sand. So it's an immovable, these are immovable truths and give you a solid basis for fighting spiritual depression. I love that. And as you're talking about the solid rock, as a worship leader, what comes to mind is the song, the solid rock. The second verse, we sung it, just sang it just this past Sunday. Uh, you know, when darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Praise God. And that that would be the foundation for our hope. What a beautiful reminder. So how do the treasures of justification by faith, specifically, yeah. in Christ alone, give ample reasons for conquering depression. They give everything that we need. And that's Lloyd-Jones's uh, third chapter in his mm -hmm. book, Spiritual Depression, It's Causes and Cures. He just goes through Romans. He goes through, yeah, goes straight to mm -hmm. Romans and to justification by faith. Everything you need is there. Um, so let's walk through that. Um, but as, as we do, I wanna uh, grab a phrase that I used uh, in my book on, on Christian contentment, because I think there's a lot of overlap between the themes in Christian contentment and battling spiritual depression. I mean, you could really say that they're really one and the same, being deeply discontent and being spiritually depressed really are the same thing. Mm. So really, we're looking for contentment. And we can talk more about that, God willing, in future studies. But the, the phrase that I have used with myself, I use it this morning, has Christ crucified and resurrected done enough for you to be happy today or must he do more than that? And that's really a rhetorical question. He ought not to need to do more than that. Mm -hmm. Christ dying for your sins and rising again for your eternal life should be enough for you to be happy today. Mm -hmm. Joyful. So I, you know, I'll start with that, but let's unpack really what we mean by the, by the glowing heart of the gospel. Mm -hmm justification by faith alone. So what do we mean? Well, what we mean is when we're depressed, we should go to this doctrine and lift up each aspect of this, each facet of this jewel and let it shine light into our darkened soul. So justification, what is it? It means that God has declared you and made you in his sight just or righteous. It's a judicial declaration by God the judge based on the imputation or crediting of Christ's righteousness to your soul, to your account. So I believe the imputation happens first. Faith happens before any of that, we'll get to that. But by faith in Jesus, a genuine justifying faith in Jesus, what happens at that moment is Christ's perfect righteousness is credited to your soul and you are seen by God to be as righteous as Jesus because you are united with him. 
And therefore, all of your unrighteousness, all of your sins, is covered in the atoning work of Christ. His death, your sins are effectively credited to him. And he dies under the just wrath of God. He dies for the unrighteous to bring us to God righteous. And those are the basic facts, the double imputation. Our sins credited to Jesus, and he dies under the just wrath of God. His righteousness credited us, and we live in perfect righteousness. But I think the declaration of us as not guilty happens on the basis of the imputed righteousness of Christ. God first gives you, you know, credits $10 billion to your account, and then calls you rich. <laughs> Pretty amazing. That's incredible. All your poverty, all your darkness driven out by Christ. The more you meditate on that, I think darkness starts to, to flee. You're like, I am forgiven. All my sins, past, all my sins, my, my present sins are either they have already happened a second ago or they're future. So all of my future sins are covered. Mm. Any sinning I do between now and when I finally stop sinning at death are covered in the atoning work of Christ. I am forgiven. I'm also reconciled to God. God is at peace with me, Romans 5.1. Having been justified through faith, we have peace with God. That's a status, a status of peace that never changes. God will never be at war with us again. He sees us as, as reconciled to him. The status of peace should result in a feeling of peacefulness. Mm. But it doesn't always work out that way. Yeah. So depression means you don't feel peaceful. I understand that. But God is at peace with you, and you should know that. Mm. So because God is at peace with you, you should feel peaceful, don't you think? Yeah. So the feeling of peacefulness comes, I think, with uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And that goes to anxiety. But be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, a feeling or sense of peacefulness which transcends all understanding, mm. will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there are two different things. A status of peace never changes if you're justified. Feelings of peacefulness come and go, but they really shouldn't ever go. We should always have that feeling of peacefulness based on the status of peace. So what else? We have a reconciled relationship with God, but more than that, God went the next step. He actually adopted us into his family. What J.I. Packer calls the most surprising blessing of the gospel is adoption. Mm. We actually are children of God. We are sons and daughters of the living God. He gave us the right to become children of God, believing in Jesus, John 1, 12. So we have a status of being a child, a son or daughter of the living God. Reminds me, this is a, 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 you know, a bad story, um, but the story of Amnon, who's laying there and, and he's, he's got a sinful heart, but his friend, comes to him and says, how is it that you, a king's son, are lying there sad every day? What's wrong with you? You're a king's son. You get to live in this house. You get to sit at the king's table. You get to get hugged by King David whenever you want. Well, let's take all the darkness of that story away and say, you know, in a way you should say this to yourself. How is it that you, a king's son or king's daughter, lie haggard day after day? There's mm -hmm. no good reason for it. You are lavishly loved, lavishly blessed, and the best is yet to come. These are the blessings of the gospel we could go on. So fundamentally, knowing this, and one last blessing, God, in that he has adopted you, he will never leave you or forsake you, mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. And so that means the trials you're going through, he has actually orchestrated them to train you and sanctify you and prepare you for heaven. Listen to this promise from Isaiah 43 too. 
When you pass through the waters, God says, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Mm. I actually think the water and the fire are both images of purification from sin. And so he's going to bring you through the fire and through the water to sanctify you, train you, prepare you. But he knows how much you can take. Mm. And he's going, he's not going to let these things overwhelm you. And best of all, I will be with you. And so what Satan tries to do is to deceive us into saying, God has abandoned me. God is not here in all of these things. No, he is absolutely with you. He said he would be, Isaiah 43, verse 2. And as we remember this, this peace that we have, the hope that we have as children of God, and even God's ongoing presence with us, it, I think it also allows us to evaluate why we may not be feeling that. Uh, when you were talking about peace and the fact that that's a, a status that we now have with God, at peace with God. Yeah. But then if we're not feeling that, we can we can turn that and say, okay, if it's true that I am at peace with God, what is it that would make me not believe that in this moment? And how do I address that? So it really leads into how we can then turn and take Lloyd-Jones' technique of preaching to ourselves related to justification, how we can use that as we battle depression. Yeah, I think you'd have to just go through each of the things I just covered on what justification is and talk them to yourself. Mm -hmm. Say, you know, my sins, 100% of them, have been imputed to Jesus. They are taken from my account and given to Jesus. And he dealt with them at the cross mm -hmm. forever. Uh, when he said, it is finished, it was finished. It's done. I'm forgiven, completely forgiven. A lot of depression is mucked up with guilt. I feel guilty. And it's because we are guilty. We've done, we've sinned. But the guilt of the sin and the wrath and the justice and all has been dealt with at the cross. So we, we do that. Preach that to yourself. Preach your positional righteousness. Say to yourself, I am seen in Christ. Righteous. I am seen by God as perfectly righteous in Jesus. Just go step by step and and um, and preach those things. I actually would like to combine it a little bit with the Ephesians 6 stuff. Yeah. Because it, it, it very much relates to the spiritual uh, warfare and the spiritual armor. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's something we, we could talk about. Yeah, and I think that's that's great for us to talk about. How mm -hmm. does spiritual armor in Ephesians 6 relate to the gospel here? Knowing yeah. that it's one of Satan's primary weapons against us is that guilt that you just talked about, saying you, you'll never be worthy enough. Your sins aren't paid for. Look what you did. Look what you've done. Yeah. I, I think, first of all, just being aware of what you just said, that Satan's active. Mm -hmm. Demons are active. Mm -hmm. And so there is a, a spiritual dimension to depression. Uh, it's, it's supernatural. And so there is... There is work that demons can do on us. And you're like, well, you, Pastor, you're freaking me out here. Mm -hmm. It's like, but it's real. And, and again, the Lord gives you as much knowledge about that as you need and no more. Mm -hmm. If he gave you the full picture, you'd be on the ground. Yeah. You'd be devastated. You'd be terrified. He doesn't, but he tells you that you have a struggle. Not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, the spiritual force of evil in the heavenly realms. So some of your depression is supernaturally caused. Satan has studied you, a demon study you, they know what, how to get at you, what your weak spots are, they've tempted you, maybe you've fallen into some sin patterns. There is a remedy for that, to confess your sin and appropriate the blood of Christ and all that, but Satan wants to keep you from that too. He wants to keep you mucked up with guilt, so he's doing all that. So just first be aware it's a spiritual battle. You've got to fight. Mm -hmm. And I think in, in future weeks, we should talk about just the anomaly of fighting for joy. Mm -hmm. But you've got to. You've got to fight for joy. And so Ephesians 6 is the best on that. 
and, and Paul gives us this uh, image of a Roman soldier, I think, with various articles of, of uh, weaponry, both defensive and offensive, that we should appropriate to ourselves. So we're supposed to put on the breastplate of righteousness. All right, so what is the breastplate of righteousness? It must be the imputed righteousness of Christ. It's not how well you've done on your best Christian day. Mm -hmm. Thank God. Yeah. I be, mean, be some pretty thin oh, armor on the front some days. Imagine, you know, the, the, the army or the Marines giving you body armor and you say, I'm not going to use that. I'm going to use some things that I've worked on in my own uh, workshop. I found that cardboard is really yeah. sturdy when you put multiple pieces together and laminate yeah, so I'm going to use way. that yeah. instead. Satan will shred it, mm. but he cannot shred the perfect righteousness of Christ. So put on the imputed righteousness of Christ. Well, how do you do that? How do you put it on? Well, first of all, no, you already have it. No, it's already on you. But put it on yourself. Appropriate it to yourself. Tell yourself, I am righteous by faith in Jesus. I am righteous enough for heaven, which is perfectly righteous, by the imputation of Christ's righteousness, not by my own performance. Put it on. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, it's breastplate because it might relate to your feelings, your emotions, the uh, the intestines, the bowel. Sometimes KJV talks about the the you know you feel it in here. Feel that you're righteous. Feel happy that God sees you as righteous. Let your heart rejoice. You know, talking about the organs. Let your heart rejoice that you are righteous in Christ. Put on the breastplate. And then the belt of truth, which is just take that belt and buckle it around you. This is the truth of the gospel. It never moves. The gospel is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The words of the gospel never change. Take that belt and put it around you. Put on the belt of truth. We could go through uh, step by step. Let's, let's say the helmet of salvation. Protect your head. Protect your thinking. So much of it is just bad thinking. Satan puts a thought in your mind. Mm. And you're like, where did that corrupt thought come from? Like, put on the helmet of salvation, or as Thessalonians calls it, the hope of salvation. So just put on your thinking. I am a saved person. And hope means future. I am not done being saved, but I've got more salvation yet to come. Yeah. I'm going to be saved on judgment day when the final accusations and all that are dealt with. And the record book is all dealt with. And I'm going to be saved for all eternity. I'm going to heaven. Mm -hmm. Just the hope of salvation. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. All of them. So what is that? The two great categories of flaming arrows. Temptations and accusations. <clears throat> so by faith, see the invisible world. I am a Christian. I am a son or daughter of the living God. I'm going to heaven. I am called on to fight for righteousness today. To do the works that God has for me to do. I've got purpose in life. I've got to fight for it. I'm going to hold up that shield of faith and all of Satan's stuff coming at me. Temptations for new sins, accusations for old sins. I'm going to hold up the shield of faith. Mm. And I'm going to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm going to go out with the weapon of righteousness in my right hand and my left. I'm going to go out and share the gospel with somebody, with a neighbor. I'm going to go do something. I'm going to speak a word of encouragement to a brother or sister. I'm going to do the good works God has for me. And, and most of them are based on the scripture. I'm going to have the sword of the Spirit. I'm going to block all of Satan's thrusts with the unbreakable Word of God. So mm. what you have to do is all these things were true. But you have to remember that they're true. Meditate on them. Each piece, like one hymn says, each piece put on with prayer. So I think in spiritual depression, you have to go through that list and appropriate them to yourselves. That's so helpful and a really helpful way for us to just walk through that step by step, piece by piece. How does this apply to our life? You know, one thing that I think would be helpful as a final question, maybe a final thought. Um, 
we talked about depression being something that kind of lingers, right? A darkness that may not feel like it goes away. Yeah. And I think sometimes that can be discouraging because you yeah. think, man, I dealt with this. You know, I've worked through that. I thought I had addressed that accusation or that temptation. Mm-hmm. How should we look on this battle as more of a journey than a single decisive battle. There isn't a single decisive battle here. You're going to have to fight for joy mm. and peace the rest of your life. As long as the world, the flesh, and the devil are active in fighting our souls, we have to fight too. And so you will have, you know, you'll, you'll take the things we've talked about here today, and maybe you feel some hope rising in your, in your heart for the first time in a while, maybe, I don't know. And you try it, and it works. <laughs> it works. You start feeling happy. But then by 7.30 or 8 tonight, you're kind of back where you were. Well, guess what? Do it again. And I think God is orchestrating circumstances to train you to be stronger, that your faith would get stronger, that through repetition, through use, you become more and more of a veteran warrior here. And you're, you're like, yeah, yeah, I know what Satan's doing right now. I can feel those temptations toward bl- the blues coming on me. I've, I've seen this before. I'm not listening to this. I'm a child of God, mm-hmm. and I've got an evening work worth of good works to do. So 7.30 uh, tonight, I'm feeling a little down. I'm not listening to that. I've got some things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call a, uh, somebody on the phone that I've been, God's laid on my heart. I want to just encourage them on the phone or send an email or something like that. I've got some things I've got to get done. And and so you got you to fight for it. So this is a journey. This is a long campaign, and it will end when we are free mm-hmm. in heaven. Um, but in the meantime, God's going to give you a lot of victories and a lot of joy. So that's exciting. Praise God. Andy, would you pray for us as we seek to apply these things? I would love to. Father, thank you. I thank you for my brother Wes. I thank you for the joy I have in ministering together with him. And I thank you for all those uh, that are going to watch this video. I don't know when. Maybe, uh, you know, they'll they'll, they'll watch, uh, you know, right away or or could watch several times. There's so many good things in, in here. And so I just pray that you would take these truths and press them to our hearts. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are listening, that you would enable them to push back the darkness with the light of God's word and with the light of the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build his kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.